Well, that was a, it's a good song, isn't it? Thinking of in light of this morning and uh, just the way Stephen opened up and then the sermon and then singing that song and just my mind went back to this, how true it is, uh, how we need God every single hour. And I found myself singing that song, asking the poignant, probing question, you know, um, I know that's true, but how many hours I go through the day uh, knowing that, but not living it, owning it. You know, you understand what I'm trying to say? It's there, you know it, but um, sensing it, and and then you'll run a little bit too far, and the chain will get jerked, or something will happen, and then uh, you know, you run back to the Lord, and He's uh, He's there, He's He's gracious. So we need Him. And we need him uh, in, uh, in even right now as we pray. So Don Bowman is going to come and lead us in prayer tonight and pray for our offering and message and everything else. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for your grace. Grace that takes guilty sinners and declares them righteous through the blood of Christ. What a blessing to be declared righteous, to be wrapped up in Christ's righteousness. But we know from the scriptures that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. And that gives us great confidence that you hear us and that you'll answer our prayers. We thank you for this gathering tonight. Thank you for the opportunity again to come and worship you. Bless this offering. We pray that you would use this money to further the kingdom of God. We pray that you might bless our pastor as he speaks to us and continues from this morning sharing your truth. We thank you for all that you are and all that we are in Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. tonight, I decided that it would be good for us to read a Valley of Vision prayer. Um, as Pastor Pearl said, sometimes you don't realize you need something until you sense it. Recently, I just I hiked up um, one of the peaks of Otter with my son Jonas for his birthday. That's one of the main things he wanted, was to hike up Sharp Top as a seven-year-old. And um, he didn't realize the importance of breathing air normally until he went on that hike, and his dad did too. Um, and so you don't um, realize you need something until it's taken away from you and you sense, man, I need to breathe. And I hope that this prayer will help you learn to breathe because um, praying is breathing for the Christian, as John MacArthur has stated many times over. So just listen to this uh, prayer by someone who's long gone, 1600s era um, Puritan who prayed this. The throne of grace. O God of my delight, your throne of grace is the pleasure ground of my soul. It is here that I obtain mercy in time of need. It is here that I see the smile of your reconciled face. It is here that joy pleads the name of Jesus. It is also here that I sharpen my sword, the sword of the Spirit, 
anoint the shield of faith, put the helmet on salvation on, gather manna from your word, strengthen myself for each conflict, energize for the upward race, and empower to conquer every foe that comes my way. Help me to come to Christ and view him rightly as the fountainhead of all of these descending blessings, as a wide open floodgate of mercy. But yet I marvel at such enriching blessings within my reach. But I am so slow to extend my hand to take them. Strengthen me, Lord, that I may cling to you and never let you go. Impress on my mind the shortness of the hour, the work to be engaged in, the account to be rendered, the nearness of eternity, the fearful sin of grieving your spirit. May I never forget that your eye is always seeing Your ear is always hearing. Your recording hand is always writing. May I pray without ceasing so that Christ is the pulse of my heart, the spokesman of my lips, and the lamp of my feet. You are my hiding place. Let's stand together and sing this prayer to the Lord. You are my hiding place. Just threw Pastor Stephen a curveball, not too much, when asked him for a specific song to close tonight. But if you open your Bibles to Second Peter, chapter one, um, we're going to finish this this section. Honestly, um, or frankly, the what 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 captured what captured my heart was was thinking about um, this. Walk down memory lane, this difficult time in, uh, in 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 my life, and sharing that difficult time with with my wife, and yet reading her perspective on it, it, it motivated me. And, and as I told you this morning, what really caught my attention 
was um, was was what she said of how she how she she motored through it, how she how she made it uh, made it through, and um, and that took me to this this Second Peter uh, passage. So really, what I wanted to share with you was was the grace part, the foundation part. That that's what I needed to minister to to my soul, and many of you have have commented after the service this morning and even tonight how it ministered to you uh, as as well. And then the whole theme of, of dependence and, and needing uh, the Lord. And yet, there's just something in me that won't allow me to just preach half of a passage. So you have to bear with me tonight as we, we finish it out, and, and you will you will learn as, as well. But my desire to preach this this passage was was really the, the foundation. And yet, if you would build a house and, and, and you, uh, you got really excited about the construction process of laying a foundation and you stopped right there, uh, there would be a problem, right? You don't lay a foundation unless you're going to build on it. And the Bible uses that, uh, that, that analogy, illustration, over and, and over. And Peter doesn't just build a foundation. He doesn't just talk about the amazing grace of God and everything that we have without telling us what to, what to do with it. And so this morning he reminded us that the power of Christ is, is not only enough to raise us on the last day, but it's for today. It's, it's every day. Um, I, I've heard uh, different preachers talk about uh, grace in, in, in the sense of uh, there was past grace, there's present grace, and there's future grace. There's, there's grace that was for yesterday that, that saved you. There's, there's grace today, and then there's, then there's grace that God has promised tomorrow. It doesn't have to, you don't have to question whether it will be here today or whether it will be there tomorrow because when, when God took you as His own, He, he, he took you all the way to the end. He's promised to, to, to abide with you and, and, and continue. And even when He disciplines us, even when difficulties come, those are wounds of grace, um, not in the sense of the way that He deals with the, with, with, with the wicked. Do we have God's power? Faith is completely supplied. It's grace that we, that we have it all. Um, it's... It's not given to us as a reward. It's given to us as a gift. Um, salvation is, is the gift of, of God. And, and you've heard that analogy. You've probably used that analogy a hundred times whenever you've witnessed to people that it's not about, it's not about works and someone can, can provide a, a gift for you, purchase a gift for you, wrap the gift for you, but, but unless you take it, you know, the, the, then you don't get the, the benefits of it. And you don't... You know, the gift is not a reward. It's, it's, it's given freely by, by God. And, and this power and this complete provision, um, even salvation itself, is not earned. It's not merited. It's not because we've done something or will do something. It's, it, it's grace. And, um, and it's through His promises that you, you have it all. God made promises from Genesis 3 all the way through, through the Bible. And God always makes good on His promises. And in Jesus, all of His promises will, will be fulfilled. That's encouraging. That's freeing. Peter says it's also motivating. And that's where we're going we're gonna to pick up. 
Peter says all of this grace, granted, the sufficient provision, is to inspire us toward diligent effort to grow. Now, there's, there's a sense of tension. Look at verse 5 in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. So he's going to give us the second component to the Christian life. I really think this is a snapshot of the Christian life. Now watch what he does in, in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life, eternal life, and, and godliness and through the knowledge. I mean, he, he starts with your salvation and, and how it's been resourced and, and how it came to you. And, and, you've, and, then, and then watch how he ends in, in verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, I mean, there's the beginning of the Christian life and there's the, the end of the Christian life. So there's, there's the two parts. And in the middle, he's going to talk about growth. He's going to talk about, about what we're to do, what we're to pursue. And, and that's where he picks up here in, in verse 5. So the second component of the Christian life is... Is, is the inspired effort. The inspired effort to, uh, to grow. Um, I, I say there's some tension here because you're going to hear uh, the words um, talk about, about our effort. Our effort is described in, in, in verse 5. And then he lists these qualities that you know well. We, we preached before. You, you've read them. You've studied them, no doubt. There's these qualities that we're to pursue. Well, what, what do we, okay, do we just give effort? You know, just spin in circles with effort? You, you know, there's a target for the effort. And, and these are qualities, spiritual excellences that we're, we're to pursue in, in the Christian life. And then, and then he's going to describe alternatives uh, when we do and when we don't, in in verses eight and and nine. So, so I feel this tension. You feel this tension that that the first point, the first part of the Christian life, he highlights all that God has done, all of the grace that comes to us. That that it's it's His power and His provision and His grace and His promises and His divine nature. Um, and then He says, but you put forth great effort. Um, look at verse 5. For this very reason, there's the inspiration part. For this very reason, give all diligence. Now, it's important to note the order. Grace first. And on the basis of that grace, your effort. But notice how he starts verse 5. For this very reason. For what very reason? For the very reason that it's grace. For the very reason that God has, has supplied. For the very reason that it's His power. That, that should be motivating. That should be inspiring. It's motivating and inspiring because you know that, that it's not all up on, on your shoulders. And, and you know, I look around, and and you're you're faithful believers. You've you've been in the Lord for for a while. Can't see all of you, but the majority. Of you. And you know what it's like to serve the Lord, or 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 work in the Christian life, when 
when when it's when it's difficult and when there's a, when there's a great wait, uh, whether that's at a, at a particular time or or just persevering every day. And there are times when 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 you'll 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 realize that there's no way that you can do what what you're called to do. There's no way that that you can bear up under the responsibility or, or whatever it is. And yet that you do, and it's just like it rides. Six inches above your shoulders, you know it's it's like it's like Atlas is you know is is holding it up, and and that's God's grace. That, that's that's effort that that you're putting forth. You're doing it. You're working. You're walking. You know. You're obeying. You're choosing to do this and not do that. And, and yet grace is operating in you, and, and so you're able to do through God with God what you're not able to do on your own. You also know what it's like whenever you're working in, in your own strength, right? You also have felt what it feels like to, to try to serve the Lord with, with your own effort. And, and you feel, you know, it's just like it, 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 you just can't do it. It comes crushing down on you. And, and of course, God, God allows that. And, and that's, his, that's His grace, because what do we learn from that? Whoa, I'm, something's wrong here, and, and, and what's the problem? Well, then he takes us to the takes us to the solution. So he says, for this for this very reason, you're you're, you're motivated, you're, you're inspired because God has has done all of those things. Then then you give effort, you give you give all diligence, um, you you add to your faith. You supply to this sufficient faith um, these these virtues, these qualities. You don't do it on your own, but but you begin the process of growing and 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 adding. Your faith is is referring to what what Peter's just defined. Um, it's your life in Christ. It's the divine nature that you're a new creature. And you apply this 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 diligence, this inspired effort, um, which means to um, to bring in or to to supply through 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 exertion. It's effort, energetic zeal, um, and in the Christian life, diligence is. Is required, but again, diligence apart from God's grace can can only go so far. So that's how he sets it up before he gives us our our target. So what are we what are we to what are we to aim at? the The, the idea that he gives here of uh, add to your faith, um, supply to your faith. It was in the in Paul's culture, Peter's culture. It, it it was what a what a choir master did um, if they were going to put on a production in a um, in a Greek city or a Roman Roman city. You would you would have like a patron, and that patron would would supply everything that was necessary for the production for the for the uh, for the play for the for the singing for the the. The orchestration, all of that, and it was a great honor if you were if you're chosen to be the patron, and it was a great 
you know, because it was such a great honor in what you were doing, you, you didn't, uh, you know, you didn't go to Dollar General. You know, well, there's nothing wrong with going to Dollar General. I go there, but it's the idea that that you didn't skimp. You supplied uh, everything, the best of everything for this for, for this production. And so he, Peter uses that word. So the idea is. Is is we we realize what God has done for us and the grace that He's provided for us and how we we don't deserve any of it, and so when we're when we're inspired by that to put forth effort, and, and we've got these lists of qualities, we, we want to do that to the best of our ability. It's not that you you halfway um, you halfway serve. So he lists the the qualities: add supply to your faith. Virtue, or or moral excellence. Um, it's a worthy life. It's a it's a life of, of spiritual quality. You pursue characteristics in your life that cause you to to stand out as upright. It's a life where where Christ is is put on display. If if I was to ask you, or someone was to ask you, um, what, what is the life of, that's worthy? What, what's a life that that you would define as has spiritual quality? Well, maybe somebody comes to your mind. Maybe there's a maybe there's a person in the church that that you 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 emulate, or you you uh, you honor. You say, man, whenever I grow up, I want to be like them. I tease Woody all the time, you know. When I grow up, I want to be, I want to be like him. And frankly, there, there are a number of people in in this congregation that come to my mind that that have that has moral excellence or virtue in, in a specific area that I want to emulate. Um, there's some of you that <clears throat> want to emulate your faithfulness. There's some of you that I want to emulate your humility. There's some of you that I, I want to emulate your generosity or your giving. There's, there's just a number of things. And, 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 and God's designed it that way. We provoke one another to love and, and, and good works. And it's good to have heroes. It's good to have targets. And, and Paul is saying, or Peter is saying, oh, let's get Peter and Paul mixed up. Peter is saying that this... You add to your faith spiritual quality. You take that kernel and, and you develop it. You, you add characteristics. You pursue certain things that, that, that puts Christ on, on display. I mean, I guess if you want to helicopter up to the big picture, it's, it's being conformed to the image of Christ. It's when your life begins to look like you're a Christ follower. So you add to your faith that. The second is is knowledge. This is the third time that that he's used um, the word word knowledge, or second time that he's used the word no third time. Uh, number, verse two multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Verse three through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. And verse six, five and six. I guess four times. You uh, to virtue you add you add you add knowledge. It's another quality that we pursue. Now, it's, knowledge is is not just 
scriptural truth, uh, not just Bible verses or Old Testament trivia, while well, there's nothing wrong with any of those. But it's, it's the truth of God's Word properly understood and, and applied. It means to have one's mind accurately enlightened about the truth of Scripture. Um, it's to understand. There's different levels of, of understanding. I told you the story about the uh, Sherman Witt. He's with the Lord now. And he was the treasurer at Red House Church. His father was a pastor. And um, Sherman became a CPA rather than, rather than a pastor. Probably, you know, I don't know, maybe he was a wise guy. I'm not sure. But he went, and I can remember meeting with him <clears throat> right after I was saved. And he, he said, he just said, Brian, there's... Um, there's a number of things that you need to know as a, as a Christian, and I can't tell them all to you, and you can't learn them all at once. So let me give you a principle. The principle is you're going to read some things, you're going to begin to study, and you're not going to understand them all. And when that happens, don't let it, don't let it bother you. Okay? God knows when you need to understand what you need to understand. So when you run across something like that, you've heard me say this before, he said just pigeonhole it. And whenever God is ready for you to connect the dots, he'll pull it down and connect the dots. And I walked away from that, you know, thinking, oh, that, that, that's good advice, and I, I've, I've run into that many, many times. You have to know some things before you can know some things. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you have to understand specific parts of, uh, of of God and and of Christ in the Bible before you can understand you know, secondary parts or tertiary parts or or deeper things more more and more isn't that what Hebrews tells us I mean the writer of Hebrews in chapter five and the beginning of chapter six is actually rebuking the Jewish professors there believers there he says you've been a Christian long enough you've been a believer long enough that you ought to be you ought to be more mature you know you you're going back to the elementary things. You need to you need to go beyond those things, um, and, and yet yet you're not. So God gives this concept of of growth. He talks about being like a baby. You desiring the sincere milk of the word. He says that in a good way. Peter does, and then Paul uses it in a negative way in First Corinthians. He says I couldn't I couldn't tell you the deeper things because you're you're carnal. You're, you're like a baby. You needed milk rather than rather than meat. And, and so you've got, this, you've got this, this process and this progress. Knowledge here has to do with that, that process and progress. It's, it's, it's to properly understand the Bible and then, uh, and then apply it on the basis of, of where you're at in, in your Christian life and then continuing to, to grow. Now, how does that happen? You acquire it through study. You acquire it through sitting in sermons. You acquire it through being here rather than being somewhere else. You acquire it through Sunday school. You acquire it through prayer. You acquire it through meditation. You know, and I don't mean like the frog on the lily pad. I mean, I mean like a, you, you take something in the Bible, you hear something in a sermon, you read something in the daily bread, you, you, you find something in the Scriptures, you hear it, and then you chew on it like a, 
like a cow does its cud. You know, you process it. You, you ruminate on it. You think about it. You turn it upside down and, and you meditate on it. Um, and then you, you apply it. What's the end of, uh, of knowledge? Um, it's an understanding that, that leads to an application. Paul told Timothy to pay close attention to your life and your doctrine and your teaching. Paul didn't see those two things being, being separated. The next thing he gives is self-control. Should be obvious. Has the idea of, of, of holding oneself self in. You know, when you, you look in the mirror, your suit's a little tight like mine. You, know, you, hold, it, you hold it in. Has the idea of sucking it in, holding it in. What you, in the idea of, of, of self-control, you restrain your passions. And again, this is not you doing it. In the sense, you have a part in it, but, but it's not your power that does it. You already have the power. It's already been supplied, and, and it comes from the, from the spring of grace, the well of Christ, but you possess it. And so you should be inspired to pursue these things. Will you pursue them? Will you complete them? Perfectly? No. But, but you're, you're in this process of growth. You're putting forth effort to grow in these, in these areas. Perseverance means the ability to bear up under difficult circumstances. You ever heard someone say to you or, um, you know, I asked God, or uh, God only gives us the, the information we need to take one step uh, ahead. He doesn't give us more than we need. And then they go on to say, because if he would have showed me the whole path, I would have never started to begin with, right? Perseverance means the ability to bear up under difficult circumstances. And God mediates that. He knows what circumstances that we can handle based upon where we're at in our Christian, Christian life. You're not alone. Um, God, is, God is there. He's forcing everything in life under the sun. He, he's God. To, he's forcing that to obey His ultimate purpose in you, which is to conform you to the image of Christ. That doesn't mean it's going to be pleasant. What does James say to us? Count it all joy, my brethren, when we enter diverse temptation, various types of trials. Why? Because we're... I don't, I don't know the, the right term, the uh, sadistic. You know, that, that's not the point. It's, it's not that you, you know, just really have fun you know, going through really hard times. That's not why you're joyful. Why can you be joyful? Why do you add it up and count it as joy? Because of what the next verse says. Because the, the testing, you know, the fire will, will produce strength in your metal. It will bring about maturity. You might not like the trial, but you will like the maturity that, that it brings. And perseverance is, is the ability to bear up under difficult, difficult circumstances. You, God never asks you to dig a well in the desert that someone else doesn't come along and drink out of it. And I would say to you that you probably will drink out of that 
that well yourself. Because as you go through this difficulty, you bear up under this difficult circumstance, it strengthens your spiritual muscles to be able to handle the next one and the next one. And God is gracious. Paul says, He'll not crush us. We all have common temptations. He knows what we're able to bear and provides a way of escape. The next one, godliness. Godliness is is similar to what I said in in verse 3. Same word. It's a life pleasing to God. Um, Righteousness. Number six, brotherly kindness. It's affection. It's mutual sacrifice for one another. You know the epitome of a miserable person is someone who cares only about themselves. It really is. When I find that when I get to the point where I'm grumbling or snippy or or complaining in my spirit, if if I really do some hard examination, it will inevitably trace somewhere back to selfishness. It will inevitably trace somewhere back to the fact that I'm not sacrificing or serving other people. You remember the story I told you about Brett Edwards? When Brett Edwards uh, talked about the fact that that when he would go out and witness and, and do visitation, um, they start the program, you know, half the church shows up. The next Thursday night, you know, the deacons show up. The next Thursday night, the pastor shows up. That's it. And he still continued, continued to go for over a year. He started it and he finished it. And I said, you know, isn't that, you know, I mean, is that not disheartening? I mean, I'm a young Christian. He's a pastor that was mentoring me. And he said, well, sure, I mean, in, in certain ways. Uh, I said, why do you do it? I mean, why do you keep... I mean, I know why you do it, because you're being obedient, but, but how do you do it? And he said, you know, Brian, I do it because it keeps my heart warm. Um, when I go and I, and I talk to the person or I knock on the door or I do whatever it is, inevitably I'm going to meet somebody that's going to have a need. Or they're going to be going through something that I'm not going through. And, and it's going to take my eyes off myself. It's going to take my eyes off the fact that nobody showed up to serve tonight, but I did. And it's going to put my eyes on them. And whenever that happens, um, it warms my heart. And I have to have something that continually warms my heart because it naturally grows cold. What do we quote from the... the the great hymn this morning, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. These are to keep my heart warm. And it's what, what he's, he's implying here, this brotherly, brotherly kindness. It's mutual sacrifice. It's, it's the idea of serving other people around you. Um, and then he wraps it all together with, with love. I mean, Peter does the same thing that Paul does. How many times have you seen Paul end a list with, with love? You know, it is the bond, Christian love. Um, 
the liberals sing the song about um, that we they will know us by our love, our love, and they forget Second uh, John, Third John, which says love and truth go go hand in, in hand. So it's not the mushy, you know, spineless kind, sacrificial um, that does for others what they need regardless of what they want, even if it costs you something. It wraps it all together. You pursue those things. Um, and as we do, energetically, inspired by the grace and all that God has done for us, re in in igniting that fire over and over, stirring up the gift of God that, that is in you, those marks will become clearer and clearer until the day we see, we see Jesus. Peter now shows us what we'll have if we possess them. And he gives two alternatives. Verse 8 and verse 9. Look how verse 8 starts. For if these things are yours, and you increase in them, you abound in them. And look how verse 9 starts. For he who lacks these things. It's a contrast. There's two alternatives. And they're directly related to your pursuit. Two possible alternatives. And he's talking to to Christians, and I'll show you uh, why I say that. In a minute, he starts with, with, with the positive. If we, if these things are are yours, if you possess them and you're increasing in them, you will neither be barren or useless, or or unfruitful in the knowledge of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, knowledge here is not the same word. He uses another word. It's not the same word as in verse three. Your salvation begins with the true knowledge of Christ. And by the fruit that comes in your life through pursuing and possessing these qualities, you come to know that, that you truly do know Him. Having these, these qualities, increasing in them, is the fruit of a true knowledge of the Savior. Um it proves that you know Him. It's, it's the fruit. Comes from the comes from the Christian life. It's, it's the idea of James, where he says, faith alone saves, but faith that saves is, is never alone. And one of the benefits of the fruit is, is not just to put Christ on display to the world, but, but it brings you Assurance. And that assurance comes from not being barren or, un, or unfruitful. And the opposite of that. Look at verse 9. For he who lacks these things, who's not growing in these things, possessing these things, giving effort towards these things, they become short-sighted or nearsighted, even to blindness. He uses two words, and then ends with, "and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins." So 
How do I know that he's talking to Christians here? That last statement. He says he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So, former sins and being cleansed from. So he's clearly talking to, to believers. So it's possible for a believer to, to, to be assured and, and, and be useful rather than useless and be fruitful rather than unfruitful. And when that happens, it, it assures us that we have a true knowledge of the Savior. It strengthens our, our resolve when Satan comes and, and hurls the arrows of, of doubt. And when we, we lack these things, um, we become blind. We become blind to what Christ has, has done for us. becomes fainter, nearsighted, and, and blindness. And we've forgotten what Jesus has accomplished on the, on the cross. Um, fighting keeps the spiritual blood flowing. You know you're alive. Don't give up. God's not against you. Work, labor, fight, be inspired. He's not going to run you in the ground. God knows exactly when you need to hear, when I need to hear, um, I, I'm doing this work, you're not. And He also knows when we need to hear, go to the ant, you sluggard. And God's done both in, in my life, just like He's, he's done it in, in, in your life. This knowledge spurs us, us on to strive. You never would have if He hadn't provided all that that you need for life and godliness, but He already has. You never could without the daily opportunities of your Christian life, and and so now we we had this inspired effort. So for all of these reasons, um, the positive side of the coin and the negative, Peter says in, in verse 10, therefore, based upon everything I've said, brethren, be even more diligent. Make your call and election sure. He gives the third component here at the end of verse 10 and verse 11. And that's the promised result. What happens as you pursue these things? You obey what Peter has said here. If I obey, what is, what's God has promised? What, what will come? And all the promises of God will be fulfilled. Peter says... In the end, if you possess these things and are increasing, increasing in them, there's a result promised. For if you do these things at the end of verse 10, you will, you will never stumble. It's a, it's, it's a double negative. It's ume. It, it's, it's you'll never stumble beyond help. You'll, you, you'll not completely fall. A righteous man falls seven times. And the world and the devil wants to stop right there, right? But the verse doesn't stop there, does it? And rises again. Praise the Lord. You'll not be ulti- you won't be ultimately devastated. And then he also gives a future assurance, a reward. There's present assurance. I'm not falling beyond the grace of, of God, not being ultimately devastated spiritually. And he also promises a future reward. Verse 11, 
or so, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. An abundant entrance. Now there's, there's two takes on what Peter means here. Um, you know, the, the idea of, uh, of an abundant life or the idea of, uh, of abundant rewards. I mean, is the everlasting kingdom the, um, the place of abundance? Or is the idea that when you come into the kingdom, rewards are tied to, to this benefit? I think it's that. I think it's, it's, it's when you enter the eternal kingdom, you not only enjoy assurance here and now, but, but there's reward. Abundant sowing will, will bring abundant reaping. And even that, not of yourselves. It's the gift of, of God. The Christian life flyover from beginning to end begins with grace, lays that foundation, inspires us to put forth effort, gives us qualities to pursue, tells us the two alternatives, if we are pursuing and if we're not, and then makes some specific promises to us, both present assurance and what awaits us in heaven um, as we walk this path by the by the grace of, of God. So trust. Trust God that He's already supply, supplied everything that you need. Be inspired by grace and and run hard after the Lord. And then look for an abundant entrance in the kingdom where you'll hear well done. Good and faithful servant. Let's pray.